Please rise for the Pledge of Allegiance. Call the roll call, please. Councilman Jeff Capel. Here. Councilwoman Jill Cole. Here. Councilman Lee Zerwanka. Here. Councilman Brian Gath. Vice Mayor Pramod Javeri. Here. Councilwoman Katie Schneider. Here. Mayor Mark Serkin. Five present. Okay. Like um, first, I'd like to uh, do the motion. I'll, well, go ahead. I'll make the motion to excuse. Motion Mark to Serkin excuse the Second. Just call Say the roll. Hi. Do you just call the roll now? All or call all in, all in favor? Aye. Let me do oh. my job. Uh, yes. Second. All in Aye. favor? Aye. 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 Nay? None. Thank you. Next item is a public hearing. Consideration of a pod PUD concept plan for 9.8 acres of a land at 11500 Reed Hartman Highway, Ordinance 2023-06, which was tabled before. Uh, now I would like to bring back on the table, from the table. So, Kelly, uh, could you take over? Okay, so we need a motion to take it off the table, a second, and then a vote. I move that we take it off the table. Say um, all in favor. All in no, favor. This is a roll call. Is it a roll call? All right. All in favor. All in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you, you Vice Mayor. Yes, so um, I just wanted to mention that we have Bob Fessler and Steve Dragon representing Vandercar here this evening to give a presentation on their PUD application for the former Sharon Woods facility on the east side of Harbin Highway. And I will call Bob up and I'm going to run the PowerPoint. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Again, my name is Bob Fessler. I'm with Vandercar and I'm in charge of our industrial development for the company. With me is Steve Dragon, our COO as well. And most of you know Steve by now. Yeah. Uh, in charge of most of our construction. Okay. So tonight, what our goal with the property on the east side is to be able to start a spec industrial building that's about 165,000 square feet. And by spec, I mean one that doesn't have a tenant in it. We start without a tenant and then try and lease it as we're building it or after it's completed. In order to do that, we need to go to a bank, get funding on it. And the issue we have right now with the current bluish north zoning is there's some requirements there that are preventing us from getting financing. So I know that Vandercar came to the council a couple of years ago and wanted to do a PUD on the entire site. A lot going on there. So we decided this time, let's just talk about 9.8 acres, one specific site, uh, create a PUD there, have a proof of concept with the council and the city of Blue Ash that what we can do and the tenants we can get are what we all want, and then we can move on from there. So our ask is that we change the warehousing component of the Blue Ash North, which right now is for incidental warehousing, which means you have to be less than 50% warehouse, to a primary use, which means you can be more than 50% warehouse. We'll also add a, a definition of light industrial, which really is in, in your materials, but just not very well defined. So we added some definition to that. And then we're also asking that we can park autos in front of a building and not only on the side and the back, which is kind of what the modern way is now. So with that, this is the 40 acres on the east side of Reed Harbin, used to be the former P&G site. Our plan is to have up to four different industrial buildings, which are the buildings in yellow, 
about 500,000 feet of industrial product. They would sit behind about eight and a half acres of outlots. And we're not here today to talk about the outlots. We'll all discuss that later on. But that's the plan. Uh, specifically, we're after parcel number one, which is the third one from the top, just north of the new Grooms Connector Road there. This product would be a modern industrial building, not set up for distribution only, like the big building on Kenwood. That's not what we're building here. This building will have docks in the back, but automobile parking in front, entrances from the front, office, building, office built in front, uh, and set up for a value add sort of uh, business. So this is the specific plan. It's a 165,000 square foot building, 9.8 acres. Um, we envision one, two, or three tenants. So we're not putting this thing down to an 8,000 foot tenant. We're after 50 or 60,000 foot square foot tenants. Uh, the building itself would have parking in the back, which is facing the top, that's the north, automobile parking along the front and the side, canopies and glass on the corners where tenants might enter, be 32 clear height on the inside, so it's a modern clear height for machinery, <coughs> etc. It would have modern column spacing, which are 54 feet across, about 50 feet deep. So it's modern set up for machinery configuration to be really flexible. Uh, we would put 2,000 amps of power in this building so that we'd be attracted to light manufacturing type uses, uh, high-tech uses, medium-tech uses, low-tech uses, pharmaceutical uses, something value-add would want to go into this building. And that's as opposed to storing cereal boxes. You know, our rents are going to be significantly above what those big distribution buildings are, so we're not even going to be attractive to people that want to just store cereal boxes. They can go elsewhere and do that. We're going to be attractive to companies that want to do some sort of value-add process there. They want a nice image for their people. They want a spot where they can expand. And that's what, you know, this building's going to suit. From the looks of it, we, you know, we haven't designed it yet. We're here trying to get approval on the concept and approval for the plan. But it would be a precast or tilt-up concrete building, which is, you know, approved use or approved materials glass in the corners, canopies, nice landscaping. It's what we would call an institutional quality building. So a pension fund like the Ohio State Teachers Pension Fund might want to invest in a building like this and own it for 20 years. So that's what we mean by institutional quality. It's that sort of building that those sort of pension funds and insurance companies would want to own for a long term. This slide is just some manufacturing information. You know, I, I keep saying the building's going to be attracted to light manufacturers. Well, they're not all Intels out there. Most of them aren't $20 billion. They're not all LG, Honda, battery, uh, $3.6 billion. Most of these are smaller manufacturers under a couple hundred thousand feet that get a contract and go, wow. I need space in three or six months. I got to fill this contract. Now that I got it, where am I going to put it up? And the manufacturing construction right now is going off the charts. The onshoring is a real phenomenon. People are bringing back their manufacturing. They're bringing back distribution. They want more of their raw inventory, more finished product where they are in the United States. And so this is just some stats, and you, know, you can read those later. The issues we have, I briefly talked about with the current uh, restrictions, is it's preventing us from getting financing. It's limiting the tenant possibilities, which is hurting Blue Ash 2. And uh, what's happening is there isn't any of the space available in Blue Ash. You know, Blue Ash has 12 million feet of industrial space that's 2 or 3% vacant. There's just nowhere for these tenants to expand and companies to expand, and they are moving out of Blue Ash. So you're bleeding employment out because there's nowhere for those companies to uh, occupy or expand. So just to touch on those again to explain it, the financing component, if we have to have every tenant has to be less than 50% warehousing. Can't go over that or you're in violation of the lease or violation of the zoning. 
a bank won't lend us money because they think then the lease is at risk, and if the leases are at risk, our loan's at risk. So in today's environment, which is you know a tough financial environment, they're not going to loan you that money. From a limit tenant possibility, there's very few tenants that actually meet the requirement of being less than 50% quote warehousing as defined, right? Because supply chains in the last three years have been all yucked up from COVID. So they're not sure they're gonna get the raw material, so they want more of it on site, makes sense, whether they're manufacturing, and then they're kicking out more finished product, which they keep on site also, so they can service their customers. So they may have been, met the requirement at some point, but if they had a year ago, they might not this year. You know, because, and then they're in violation, and then they're in violation of their lease and the zoning. And that's just, no company's gonna put themselves at that risk. And lastly, on the bleed out, you know, Bluish has got a diverse industrial base. They just haven't built any new industrial product of this nature. I mean, they had the one big bulk building, but that's not what we're talking about. You know, of this nature that can handle a 50,000 foot manufacturing company, 50,000 foot light packaging company. So we're trying to prevent and service tenants that are already in Blue Ash. Because companies that locate in a, in a jurisdiction tend to like to stay there and tend to want to expand there. These are tenants, and I say this, speculative development creates momentum on a piece of property, and momentum brings opportunity. You know, it just does. The first, I won't go over all these in detail, but CTL Aerospace, Lens Crafters, Totes, Pacific Coast Feathers, those are all manufacturing companies that located in this area. I know them personally, I did those deals with those companies because there was a spec building going up or done. That's the only way we get, we're able to service those companies. All those companies have expanded in those areas and significantly expanded. And the ones I just mentioned, the top CTL, Lens Crafters, and Totes are still there, you know, 30 years later. So once you capture these tenants, they don't want to leave. The last three, the Hammond Enix, Nordlock, and Crystal are deals in Pittsburgh, but they were all captured because there was a spec building available. So that's why it's urgent from our side that we figure out a way together to get a spec building started so that we can service various companies. Logical question for council, for me. Why not wait, right? Why not wait for a tenant to come, bring him to council, bring him to David, Kelly, let's vet them, let's see if we approve it, then let's do a build the suit for them. It's a logical question. The issue in the city of Cincinnati, in this region of Cincinnati, there's very few build the suits that are really done. The pie chart on the left is from CBRE, which is the largest um, brokerage company in the world, says that only 2% of the space last year that was built was build the suits. And that's just reflective of every year. The city of Cincinnati, the Cincinnati region, doesn't get many build the suits. So if you're gonna wait for that, you could be waiting a really long time. Second is time. A lot of these companies now, they're pushing back any decision they can as long as they can because the world is a very confusing place now. Their supply chains are still not perfect. And so there's always risk with construction. I'm not gonna go over all these, David, don't worry. <laughs> but this, all of these, are from various brokers in town, back and forth, asking each other, do you have space? I have a tenant, do you have space? Is there space still in that building? And it's interesting to read. These are manufacturing, all the office and stuff I didn't bring with me, but just a couple, for example. We need 175,000 feet, uh, five to 8,000 amps of power, so manufacturing, four months. So if you don't have a building that's 200,000 feet, you don't even get a chance. This one's perfect. North of Cincinnati, national credit tenant, wants 50,000 feet immediately. I mean, that just says blue ash on it, you know? This next one, uh, 70,000 to 200, timing immediate, 
50,000 feet timing immediate, 200,000 feet, 5,000 amps of power, so manufacturing, three to six months. And 150,000 feet timing ASPA, which is four months. I mean, they're all like that. And without a building either coming out of the ground or there, they just go on to other spots. Next, why don't tenants wait for a build to suit their risk adverse? Lots of these tenants of these companies, they don't want to take a chance on construction. Because what happens? There can be construction delays and there can be cost overruns. And if you were doing any construction in the last 36 months, you got hit with all of that. So they've just all been burned. They don't want to wait for construction, many of them. And a lot of companies don't want to come in front of a public uh, council and make a big display. They just want to move in for whatever reason they have. So they're risk adverse. And lastly, you know, if you're waiting for a bill to sue, we're competing against other jurisdictions that have land. So you have 10 jurisdictions, all with land, all competing for the same bill to suit. And many of them will offer significant tax incentives, incentives from the city, incentives from the county. So it's a very competitive situation if you're just waiting for a bill to suit. Lastly, you know, our request will make financing possible for a building like this will allow us to attract a wide range of tenants and will help service the existing Blue Ash companies. The advantages of our plan is we have four different buildings, four different sizes. We can diversify the risk of buildings. We'll get different tenants in there and we'll get tenants from every walk of uh, industrial life. So we're not putting all of our eggs in one basket. And we're going to diversify the risk for all of us. And that's a big advantage. And lastly, we, we believe again, you know, speculative development just creates momentum. I do think that once we start a building, we'll probably get a build to suit on one of those other sites because they'll see things going on. It is just my experience over 35 years, that's what happens. But we got to get one coming out of the ground. So we want to create a spot where businesses and industrial businesses can grow and expand, you know, and stay in the city and create an employment base. And so we're asking for your positive vote a month from now on this request. That's all I have. Thank you. Uh, by this time, any more? Okay. Somebody else has said it. questions? I have a few. Um, <laughs> will Vanicar own these properties going forward? So right now, that's a good question. So you're either a long-term holder of the real estate or a merchant builder, and a merchant builder is one that puts it up, gets it leased, and then sells it to an insurance company or to a pension fund. Um, I don't know what we will be with a building like that. We are talking to lenders about longer term loans because we don't we can't predict the fun, the financing market, you know, 3 or 4 or 5 years from now. That leads to my next question. This is being built on spec, okay? With the what's the time length on leasing for a company coming in? It's going to be long term, short term, anywhere in between. Oh, and how does that affect yeah. in, in relationship to the financing, Bob? Right, right. So the initial tenant we put in there, let's just say that tenant was 100,000 feet. Typically, those tenants would be seven to 10 years on the lease, and they typically then have a renewal option or two. The second tenant may be five to seven years, could be 10 years also. And then they typically all have renewal options. And if there was a third tenant, the third tenant would be in there maybe for five years. So we're talking long-term leases. We're not talking, okay. and again, we're, we're attracting tenants that are going to put money in the building. Manufacturing, going to put machines in there, office in there, whatever it might be. I understand that you've got to get them in there so that they can grow and get the time. But if they want to expand too, is it the next building? Is it the same building or 
you know, you're kind of shuffling your cards here. These are great questions. I've experienced this for a long time. I could go on for a long time on this. So um, two things happen. If it's a 100,000 foot tenant, he probably has some sort of right of expansion in the building because he's the first person in or she, and they're going to put in $20 million and they want to make sure that they can expand. So we might have to take the second tenant and move them to the next building. Okay. If that's not the case, then the tenant that wants to expand might have to either completely relocate to the second building or put the expansion option over there. The CTL aerospace that I showed you went across the street. They leased 96,000 feet originally and then have now leased 200,000 feet across the street. So they kept them both. Lens crafters ended up in three buildings, keeping the original, and then had 30,000 feet for research, and then 30,000 feet for more distribution. So you never know. So, Aaron, do you see any of these companies needing incentivizing to be there from the city's part, or is that on your part? Um, it's <laughs> that's a good question. They probably will want incentives. All of these companies have consultants. They all make their money by trying to get their particular customer, client, incentives. They'll probably come to you. They'll come to Union Center, Westchester, Mason, you know, Sharonville, and it all will probably be a competition. That being said, there's a lot of companies right in Blue Ash. And if you're walking across the street, it's a lot easier than moving your whole labor base you know, to Mason somewhere or Westchester. They'd rather stay here. That's the advantage of having some spot where they can go. You? Anybody else? I just have a simple question. And I think it was a very informative um, presentation and great questions, Lee. Just out of curiosity, why did you pick the, the building in particular, the location to start with the first building? Oh. Uh, could you, so, it's a difficult site to pick which one because it's not a perfect rectangle and so if you chop the front up then you have the rest you've got this kind of nut cut out of it with the building that's adjacent yeah, because of the right so we looked at it and said well we want significant size so we want something in the 150 or 60,000 foot range for economies the building below the road that's 90,000 feet so that thing is 58 percent less square footage and costs over 20% more per square foot to build. So we're trying to get some economies of scale at the 165, and it's still left, you know, 20 acres to the north where you could do a build the suit and have a little bit of flexibility maybe on parking and trucks and things like that. Um, and the gray area, so that's the truck court? Yes. Okay. And yes. The, the high glass corners, are they just going to be on the two on the two corners, not on the back of the building, but just on the front of the building? On the front two corners, and then with the middle uh, that faces south, kind of in the middle, in case you get a third tenant, we'll have it all set up mm -hmm. for a third tenant. Yeah, uh, a few things. Um, so I also attended the planning commission meeting where this was presented, and my comments are reflective of both what you said and what, what was said in planning commission. One of the things that has come up um, in, in both situations is the need for us to allow for more than 50% warehousing to, get, uh, to be able to get loans. And one of the terms that was used at the Planning Commission meeting was as a fallback situation. So if primary purposes or the primary goals don't work out as well, there's, a, there's the, the backup fallback plan. Now, like when I think of fallback, I'm thinking of things that are relatively easy to achieve and to fall back on. Like if I was a, an upper tier Air Force pilot who wanted to become an astronaut, then commercial pilot would be a fallback given that skill set. Or if I was a 25 year old bodybuilder who wanted to be Mr. Universe, then yeah, you and I both. Yeah. Um, then being. Um, uh, uh, getting a job in a warehouse as a loader and unloader is a good fallback option. Someone like that could easily do. But at the Planning Commission, it was also cited that 
using this area for a lot of warehousing would not be financially viable because of, of the rents that would be charged. So um, my question would be, like, how, how is it you're saying that the banks, uh, as well as, as you, the applicant, are saying that a lot of warehousing is a fallback if it's not economically viable for it to be a fallback? I don't believe I ever said the word fallback. I wanted more um, warehousing to be flexible enough to accommodate a wide range of tenants. Somebody that walks in and says, I want 165,000 feet of, of warehouse, they're gonna pay a rent that's probably 25% higher than they could by going to that building on Kenwood Road or those ones on Osborne Lane. I don't know why they would do that. What I'm trying to create is the fact that if you are P&G and you go into this building and you're going to manufacture diapers and you have 55% of your space as manufacturing, and, right, and two years later you've got a more efficient machine and now you only need 45% of your space as manufacturing, but you're still, you still have the same number of people, but you're storing more now, and all of a sudden you're in violation of the lease and you're in violation of the zoning. I doubt Blue Ash is going to go kick out P&G for that, but the bank is going to assume they are and going to shut them down. So I'm not, I don't think we're incongruent here. I'm just saying it opens the toolbox more to make sure that we have a bigger variety of tenants. More flexible uses, Jeff, maybe. That's the... Yeah, just the, the, the hang-up I have is if we did pass something that allowed for this space to be primary warehousing, then primary warehousing is what we could end up getting. So that would lead me to a question then, if, if we were to amend the application to where we put a little more restriction on how it could become primary warehousing, for example, the situation you raised where it's just, we have somebody who's on site who manufactures on site in compliance um, uh, with the PUD, and we just said then that the only way that, we, that they could be over 50% is if it is one of those clients and it's just because they needed some extra storage for either the, the raw material or, to, to, or for the finished product to stay on site a little extra longer. Would, would that cause too much problems in, as far as getting the loan or are you saying we really cannot uh, be any more restrictive than what's already in the application? We really can't be more restrictive than what's in the application. And here is your check for, for everybody's check and balance. If we put that building up and we have a company that goes in there with 12 employees and distributes cereal boxes, then we have no credibility to come back and ask for something different on the rest of the site. So that's why we're trying to limit this to just <coughs> one site, one building, 9.8 acres. That's your best check we're going to have. Okay. Um, yeah, that's all I have for now. I just have a question, and maybe you said this, but just to repeat or clarify. So this is for this first building as a PUD. Is your plan to get that all leased and then kind of determine if one of those tenants, because I imagine it would be a while before they would want to expand. That's right. So do you kind of wait? Or you finish this building, you have tenants, and you, you go to the next one, and you keep this moving. You do that as any good developer. So once you get that building significantly leased, looks like it's about to be leased, we would like to start the next building. And many tenants aren't going to expand in the first year, exactly. First two to three years. It'll be later, typically, not always. The goal is to try and have product available all the time, if you can, because then you can capture an expansion or you can capture somebody that comes in and wins a contract. And it is amazing to me how many companies don't come and look for space until they get a contract. And now they need the space. So that's, you know, that was this whole list here. All these people need space in three or six months. You know, they don't have time to wait for a year anymore. But that's what we do on those that you just presented on the, is there a little bit of science to the amount of space that they're averaging how many employees for that space 
you know. Is there a little science there? Um, yeah, I've been asked that question for 30 years. It's really it's hard. You know, it's just a swag. It really is. Because you can say, well, one per thousand, and that's kind of what we built for. And then somebody comes in there, and they have two per thousand. and But they don't need the 20 doctors then. They only need five, and so they park in the back. And they line up for autos in the back. I, I couldn't tell you. That does raise an issue here. Is Council did sink $1.5 million into this already, without any, which two of us did not vote for. We didn't get any equity ownership in it, nor did we get a loan payback. So we're looking, we would need the employment at this facility to be high enough to justify that kind of investment that we are otherwise not getting the money back on. You have, you know, to, sorry, I'm just asking you to clarify. I'm talking now. Is there you know, a way you can give us a, you know, a better, um, a more precise answer on what full employment at this, at, at the total site up there would look like? Um, taking into the second part, I just want to reiterate and clarify again: the 1.5 million investment investment went to build the road, and that's what. So that's all we told is we got a loan out of the deal. So the developer did. Well, that road job's going to serve Groom's Road, where there's millions of feet of industrial too. It's not just us, but so 500,000 feet. Let's just say it's one per thousand. That'd be 500 employees back there. That would be my good guess as I can get. If he's asked me now, how much money are they going to make a year? You, you guys feel, I mean. And also, here's what I've also experienced, Jeff. This is, somebody goes in there and they take uh, 100,000 feet of space and they've got a lab in there and they put 2,000 feet of office in there and they've got uh, maybe some packaging operation and we would all go, well, that's kind of the middle of the road. And a year later, they bring 20,000 feet of office people down from Chicago because the rents are a fraction in that warehouse building. And that's just happened. And I go, wow. So you wouldn't have taken the first deal, but now you have the second one with 20,000 feet, 100 high-end office jobs in your building. Well, that's just what happens when we get these things up and going. Potential of a, cat, a campus atmosphere. Yes. On the growth potential. Right. And, you know, it's all going to be landscape first class per the Blue Ash North, you know, zoning requirements and all that. It's going to look great. It's going to be, it's, it's going to attract companies that want to attract their tenants and keep their own employees and attract their employees. Anyone else? I have just one question. Have you signed up anybody for this particular building as a tenant? No. I wish we have, but we haven't yet. Because the first question that I'll ask is, and this is, when can we be in? You know, you can't look them in the eye and say, well, we're approved, we're not, I mean, just until we get past this, then we can you know, market and look people in the eye and tell them. Okay, thank you. Uh, at this moment, particularly this, uh, this PUD, uh, anybody from the our audience here, if they have any questions, and particularly for this subject, they can ask one at a time, please. And just to clarify, it's, it's probably curious, so we don't necessarily questions, but just any public comments. I mean, we, we won't be answering these questions and, at this portion. Yeah, you can go ahead and sit down, and this is just an opportunity for others to make any comments. I agree with you. So, anybody wants to come over here and comment on this particular proposal? Please. Peter Lord. I live in Kenridge Lake. I'm a retired Blue Ash industrialist. We had a family business in Blue Ash from 1915 to about 95. 
when it was sold and ultimately moved to Cincinnati. We had a little over 100,000 square feet. We manufactured electrical products. Some of them had motors. Some of them uh, were standalone electrical products. We manufactured semiconductors. The products that we made in 1950 were not the same products we made in 1960. They weren't the same products we made in 1980, which is typical of being in business. You don't necessarily make the same thing all the time unless you're making cornflakes. Okay, we made electrical products that sold worldwide. Some of them were high value products where we could put a million dollars worth of product in a van. Semiconductors being kind of small but expensive. We made heavy things that you needed a forklift truck to move around. We made products for uh, retail. We made products that uh, were components of other industries where they used our products to assemble manufacturing. We made machinery that did secondary machining operations. So if you get involved in a manufacturing operation, it is not static, but it's dynamic. Our warehousing demands in our building grew and shrank depending upon the product line. Okay, so some of the things that you ask about are impossible to forecast. Uh, we're going to have to appreciate that uh, manufacturing is a dynamic kind of thing. I think it sounds like a terrific idea, and you ought to go ahead and do it. Thank you. Anybody else? <clears throat> Tell your name and ad address. Mike Frazee, 5325 Cooper Road. Seeing this for the first time. Um, Please, can you talk to me? Oh, okay. Since it was owned by a formal, formal major company like PMG, what is the likelihood of just if you just held out and let another major company that maybe is not here, Johnson or Johnson, maybe see that and want to buy the whole plot of land and set up shop there? Wouldn't that be more desirable than kind of leasing it out as a, a rental warehouse? I mean, I don't know who owns it right now and if that's possible, but it'd be kind of nice if, you know, another major company would come in and buy that and set up shop here would be more desirable than it seems kind of speculative leasing it out as a, as a warehouse like that. So that's my input. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay, so we're closing. Now we're going to the regular. Um, Approved for the minute, regular meeting. Mayor, Vice Mayor, um, we missed the acceptance of agenda number four on the previous page. Can we start there and then do approval uh, of minutes? Okay. I move to accept today's agenda. Second. second. I second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you. Now I can go back to the six. Um, Regular meeting of July 13, 2023. Can I hear a second? Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. We're going to the communications. We need to approve the minutes. We just did that. that. We just did? Yeah. Oh, my bad. All in. I'm sorry. I know you're trying to help me. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get rid of my nervousness. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, Jimmy, do you have any communication? No, there are none tonight, Your Honor. Thank you. Report from outside agency? None. Mayor's report, July 2023. It is in a council meeting. Minute. Financial report. Motion to accept the report of July 2023. Second. Anybody second? Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. Now, we're going into the hearing from citizen. 
What I like to do is just anybody wants to say and make any comments or whatever they have, they have to come to the podium and tell their name and their address. If you have any material, please do not approach us. Go to the Julie. She will, she will pass it on to us. Keep your comments nice, brief, and you're going to have three minutes to do that. Hearing from citizen is only to listen. We will listen to you guys, but we will not respond. If it is necessary, we will respond and miscellaneous at the end of the meeting. So anyone has anything, please come to the podium and try to be nice, as nice as is possible. Please come. Hello, my name is Michael Marchese. I live in the Kenview Hills neighborhood at 6591 Donjoy Drive. The precise location of my house will become more obvious when you receive the materials that I just handed. Uh, as you may already be aware, the Ohio Department of Transportation is performing a feasibility study to replace the old pedestrian bridge that spans the Ronald Reagan Highway and connects my neighborhood to the rear of the Sycamore Middle, Middle School. As part of this study, the ODOT has created a virtual town hall to present three alternatives that they are considering. I'm here to express my deep concern regarding two of ODOT's three alternatives. The first of the three alternatives is to simply tear down the existing bridge and not replace it. While it would be inconvenient to have that happen, in my estimation, you'll see it's actually the least harmful of the three alternatives being considered. The other two alternatives, which they name A and B, would dramatically and negatively impact me and my neighbors who live along the northern edge of our neighborhood. Pursuant to law, the ODOT, if it has to do this bridge uh, replacement, it has to do so in accordance with ADA requirements, and that involves uh, creating long approach ramps so that there can be accessibility for the disabled. While it's certainly a lot of a goal, these proposals would achieve that goal only at the expense of creating, uh, obliterating actually, the critical barrier between our houses on one side and the noise and light pollution of the Ronald Reagan Highway and the school athletic fields on the other. I'm going to focus on ODOT's alternative B, since it would affect my house in particular. Bear in mind, this is not to say that I think alternative A is a whole lot better. Alternative B would have the new bridge relocated approximately 275 feet further west than its current location. Uh, you'll see in the images before you, there's an aerial image of my house as it exists today with the blue line around it. The old pedestrian bridge is just to the right of this image off screen. Note uh, also in the next few images you'll, see, images, you'll see pictures I took of my yard from ground level. You can get a better sense of the beneficial density of all the mature trees and greenery in full bloom and its important importance to my ability to quietly enjoy my use of my home and property. Just to reiterate, on the other side of all that greenery and all those trees is the Ronald Reagan Highway. It's the only barrier we have to all that noise and light pollution. Finally, on the last page of the packet, you'll see a rendering from the ODOT's virtual town hall depicting their so-called alternative B. Note that house you see in the right half of the picture is mine, and note all the greenery is gone. So, may I Thank continue you. right now? Yeah. Did you finish? Uh, 30 more seconds? Okay, no. okay thank you. Uh, note the unobstructed views that pedestrians would have of my property. Uh, also, the ODOT plans for the ramp to be lighted 365 days a year, so that means the entire northern edge of my property will be lit up every day of the year. I contacted the ODOT about this, proposed a fourth alternative to possibly build a lift rather than ramps. They said it was too expensive and they wouldn't consider it. I, uh, I realize the city council may have no control over any of this, 
Nonetheless, I beseech you to consider passing a resolution either to stop the rebuilding of the bridge or somehow involve itself with the ODOT so that you can come to reimagine it and do it in a way that's a lot less detrimental to uh, me and my neighbors. Thank you for your time. Anyone else, please? Come forward. Oh, hello, I'm Eve Marcus. I'm a neighbor who this is going to impact. Um, first of all, the virtual open house asks for imp uh, input from people from Montgomery because the school is in Montgomery. But people from Montgomery would have to get to the back of the school, the new school, and then find their way up over into our neighborhood, which is not a public street. So if a public street were to be built, it would have to include Blue Ash, the school property, and uh, Montgomery off of Cooper. So this bridge was originally built for children in our neighborhood to go over to school. I don't think it's terribly safe to have children come over that bridge into the backyard of the school, which would probably require a lot more security for the school. And I did call the support services at the school, and they agreed there'd have to be a lot more cameras. And things are different nowadays, I think, in terms of liability. And the liability would fall partly on Blue Ash because part of the property coming off the ramp belongs to Blue Ash. Um, I, th I think that the comments uh, requested by the uh, virtual open house could come from anywhere. For example, there were some that said how lovely it is to be able to cross over the bridge and then go to the YMCA. Well, the YMCA is nowhere near where we're talking about. So I think that <laughs> the fact that these comments come anonymous means that they really can't be trusted. And I realize this is ODOT, this is not Blue Ash, but Blue Ash does have part of the liability, as does Montgomery, because of the location. And if Montgomery and Blue Ash decided maybe there should be a connection, a public sidewalk, well, that would be more practical. And in terms of security, knowing that this is just for walking and that uh, police vehicles certainly can't use this. And these are rather long ramps uh, and a much higher bridge because of the uh, Americas for Disability needing a more gradual incline. It's something definitely that should be studied by Blue Ash for the liability of it all. And um, I, I agree with Mr. Marchese. It's, <clears throat> it's going to invade our, <clears throat> our privacy, I do believe. So thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Mr. Sharma from President of. State of the microphone and speak in the mic. So this is Surendra Sharma from uh, uh, 11269 Cornell Woods Drive. Uh, I'm here to, uh, as a volunteer of Art of Living organization, which was founded by uh, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar. Uh, he is one of the uh, great hum humanitarian, and uh, he has addressed United Nations, European parliaments, and multiple places. Uh, he has impact on 180 countries with 500 million followers. Uh, with different workshops running for mental peace. Uh, he has been instrumental in uh, peace talks, even in Colombia. Uh, he has provided uh, effective tools for mental health, resilience, non-violence, and self-development. Uh, right now, have programs running in like 100 universities in US itself. Uh, multiple projects going on for uh, starting from prisons to trauma relief throughout the world. So 
have large impact and uh, he will be here personally in Cincinnati on August 24th, Thursday, the August 24th. Uh, so it will be great that everybody can join. Definitely would like to invite. Uh, it is definitely a privilege to have him here. Uh, the event will be attended by uh, Mayor of Cincinnati, Hamilton County Commissioner, and even a senator also will be there. So definitely would like to invite all to join us, uh, experience the meditation in presence of uh, such a great guru. And I definitely would like to understand if there is any way we can spread this more across our neighbors and here in Blue Ash, if there is any other way we can do that. Thank you. Uh, you have said everything, and I know it's on 24th August, but I think you need to say what day. It is Thursday uh, at Time? Masonic Center, Cincinnati Masonic Center at 6.30 p.m. to 8, 8.30 p.m. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mike Frazee again, 5325 Cooper Road. I just wanted to use the, uh, on the ODOT thing, I don't want to comment really on the decision of the bridge, but I think the process they're using is kind of beneficial that maybe the city could model after as far as, you know, presenting this to the public and giving like two options, option A, option B, and allowing the, the citizens to kind of vote or make comments on which one you like or which one you don't like. Uh, when like a developer or something presents something here, it's kind of limited to maybe 50 people and maybe a couple people can come up and comment on it. For like the blue, there was a demonstration here and you could ask questions, but nobody really got to say, okay, I like this aspect of it, but I don't like this other aspect of it. But if you put it up online and allow more feedback and input, that you'd get a broader uh, perspective on what the larger group of Boolean citizens think about something rather than just kind of a small group here. So that's that's just why I, I kind of like the process that they're using, even though I have some problems with the bridge myself. <laughs> okay. Thanks for the comment. Anyone else? Please come. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Zishan. Um, I'm just here. I won't take much time. Uh, I'm running for Sycamore School Board. I just wanted to take some time to introduce myself and just drop the flyers for the, for, for the council just to review those ones. And really appreciate if you guys can review and uh, get back to me if you have any questions or concerns. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Is someone coming? Not. My name is Trisha Fetters, and I live at 5541 Hagawa Drive. This is a follow-up to an email I sent to council members Tuesday morning in regards to the EH Green School detention bond. Um, I've got some very major concerns of how it was constructed and how it's operating. Our property is now part of the spillway, is designed by plan. We were never notified, and that puts us in direct risk of flooding. There's been no attempt by the school to place a berm on our property line to keep overflow away. The next major concern is safety and health risks. There's constant stagnant water standing back there. The mosquitoes are unbelievable, especially in the evening. My family no longer uses our backyard during the evening because we get bit up so much. The local channel Five News just did a special last night on West Nile and the uptick in Cincinnati of positive cases. There's also the hazard of drowning with the amount of water that's standing back there. A small child could easily fall into it and drown. We also fear that our property is now being devalued by the incredible eyesore of the basin. It is not being maintained the way we were told it was going to be. It's overgrown, and it's not just the vegetation that's an issue. It's the way that it is properly to function. There's a rock forebay that has been washed away since at least July 15th. No one has been come back out to the pond to rebuild that. 
I don't understand why it's falling on me to ask these questions or find out who's responsible. We were also notified by the Hamilton County inspector that the outflow pipe was so clogged with straw, the size of the drain hole was a half dollar size. I come to you before tonight and ask for your help. I should be able to focus on my family and the arrival of our third child. Instead, I'm taking that time to email different cities, trying to get someone to take responsibility and accountability for this. So please, Help me. What if it was your yard that was being impacted this way? Thank you. Thank you. Now there is a lady who needs your help. I expect to see my city council do something in her favor. My name is Peter Miller, and I live Lake, and I remember the Blue Air City Council from a long time ago. My first meeting was in 1980, and there was a time before the park was built when the city asked for ideas from the public of what might be done in the park. And among the ideas that were presented, and many of you people weren't here when those ideas were presented, and I can't even remember how long ago it was, but it was quite a while ago. A letter came from the observatory suggesting that the skies above the park were appropriate for uh, viewing the stars, that the skies were dark. Well, since then, there's been a lot of lights, and the skies aren't dark and blue ash anymore. And they have ruined amateur astronomy and blue ash. But however, there are two astronomical events occurring one Saturday when the personal meteor shower, the most magnificent meteor shower of the whole year, debris left over by the Comet Swift Tunnel has been floating around for the Earth to bump into it every fall. And the best time to view it will be a few hours before sunrise. And what I'm suggesting is the park should have a formal meteor shower viewing program and allow people to come and lie on their backs and look up because that's all you have to do. Second, in April next year is a total eclipse of the sun. This eclipse, if you've seen the patterns in the newspaper, runs through Indiana and Ohio and goes up to wherever and comes from some other place in the world. But it just grazes bluish. So instead of having 100% uh, total eclipse, we'll have about mm, 97%. People are going to come from all over the world to see this. There should be some bluish program set up in the park because it's in the daytime. You can have a lot of uh, good publicity about what could be done here. I have a niece who lives in Colorado who's called me up and she says she's going to come and stay with me so she can go see the eclipse. So this is something we should figure out how to take advantage of. Thank you. Anyone else, please? Well, since nobody's doing we go furthermore, I'm closing the hearing from citizen. Now we go into the committee reports. Planning and Zoning Committee, Jill Cole, committee member, please. Thank you, Vice Cole. Mayor. Um, this evening I have a motion to set a public hearing for Thursday, September 14th, 2023 at 7.05 p.m to consider a PUD concept <coughs> plan for 10.9 acres of land at 4300 Glendale Milford Road in the Summit Park District. Second. Are there any questions or comments? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. I also have a motion to set a public hearing for Thursday, September 4th, 2014, 2023 at 7.10 p.m. to consider a PUD concept plan 
for 4.7 acres of land at 9019 Destin Street in the R2 medium density residential zoning district. Do I have a second? Second. second. Any comments, questions? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any, any opposed? And finally, a motion to set a public hearing for Thursday, September 14th, 2023 at 7.15 p.m. to consider an application for a conditional use permit to allow the existing Speedway gas station located at 4775 Cornell Road to increase the number of fuel pumps from four to five. Second. Any questions, comments? All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Thank you, that's it, Mr. Eismeyer. Thank you. We go into the miscellaneous business. Eric, you have anything? I don't have anything to say. Thank you. Kelly, where is she? Nothing tonight, Vice Mayor. Thank you. Is Sherry around? Not today. Dan Johnson, he's not here. How about Paul? Thanks, BJ. Um, just real quick, we um, shared a memo um, with you all uh, just recently discussing 2024 programming. You know, our Parks and Rec team kind of starts planning our 4th of July event on July 5th of the year before. They do the same with all of our other programming. And they're looking ahead to summer of 2024 in regards to how we're going to handle concerts next year in the park. So we hope that obviously Friday night concerts. Um, are back and roaring once we get the park back put, that, put back together. And so I just wanted to check and see if there's any reaction to the memo as we discussed possibly some changes in the way that we handle um, alcohol um, at the events and whether or not a second door would be an interest to council at all. Well, just to be clear, there's no hurry to make a decision to make this one and thinking about it so that we can over the next few months start planning about that. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a question? I, I know that there was some, or at least I recall, there was some minimum number of um, establishments that needed to be, is it four or five? Two? It's only two. I cannot hear. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you. Brian Pacheco. Solicitor. Nothing. Grace. Is he here? Art. Is he here? Gordon. I don't have anything tonight. Thank you. Julie. Nothing tonight, Vice Mayor. Thank you. Amy. Nothing tonight, Your Honor. Rachel here, too? No. She's not here. I have nothing tonight. Yeah. Um, nothing original for me tonight. So just I'll just briefly thank all the residents who came and gave us their their comments on on the various issues before us. I guess with the bridge, you know, we'll have to figure out at some point if we even want to study it and take a position on it, or if it's just one of those things where we say ODOT is so far above us and maybe we don't even want to wade into that. I don't know, well, but I think it's worth thinking about, and I'm glad the residents um, raised that to us. I did want to also follow up with a question or two on uh, one of the last speakers we had, Ms. Fetters, and my apologies if this has already been covered by email, because I don't, I don't have email on my phone, so I, I can't just quite can't pull it up. Um, when she talks about the, the retention pond that's, that's right behind her home, do we know for certain um, who the owner of that pond is? No. I'm vaguely aware that that school project was probably 10 or 12 years ago, but I believe it's a school, school's property. It's probably a detention pond where the water is designed to hold water. But it's been 10 or 12 years since, we, since that project was, was built. So. Yeah, I even remember when it when it when it came up here, and you know, we're obviously going like four years before I was even on council, and I've been here for a while. So yeah, it's definitely something uh, that uh, started quite a while ago. And then as far as the, the 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 city that that pond sits on, again, I apologize if this was already covered in the email. Is that pond on ours or Montgomery side? Oh, okay. 
I'm sorry, Kelly. I think it's Montgomery. Okay. All right. Yeah, I just wanted to, to just ask those two questions, so at least you know we, we know at least where to begin on on addressing her valid concerns on it. But that's all I had. Thank you, Jill. Nothing except just to echo Jeff's statement and others. We always really appreciate people coming out and sharing their views and getting a chance to listen to their concerns and questions. And that's it. Thank you. I have just one comment that uh, movie in the park, movie night in the park, it is going so great. The children and the people and just amount of people getting together. Providing free popcorn and <coughs> giving them free so children are lined up and they're really enjoying the um, uh, thanks to the administration. They're doing a great job. That's all I have. We're going to the executive session. Motion to go in executive session. Property acquisitions to consider the purchase of property for public purposes or for the sale of property at competitive bidding. A premature disclosure of information would give an unfair competitive or bargaining advantage to a person who personal private interest is adverse to the general public interest. Do I have a second? Second. Second. Please roll call, Jimmy. Councilwoman Cole. Yes. Councilman Zerwanka. Yes. Councilman Schneider. Yes. Councilman Capel. Yes. Vice Mayor Javeri. Yes. Five yeses. Thank you. So now we go into the other executive session. Thanks all for you, all you guys coming and showing your support. <laughs>